0: I'm Kristen Tiesch, the producer and host of today's episode. Before we dive in, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you haven't made a pledge already to our Patreon page, I encourage you to do so. Producing this content takes a lot of time and hard work. And to do it on a regular basis, we need regular support. So please head over to patreon.com wildlenscollective and choose a pledge level. For $1 a month, you get quality environmental storytelling every two weeks. Thanks for your support. Now, on to the show. Ecofascism. Ever heard of it? Or thought about it? Seems paradoxical. But is it, or is it a part of American history that has been there all along? In an article dated August seventh, twenty nineteen, GQ magazine, yes, GQ, defined ecofascism as quote a belief that the only way to deal with climate change is through eugenics and the brutal suppression of migrants." unquote It's a philosophy that has roots in the American environmental movement dating back to the 1800s, right down to the creation of our national park system. But let's start off with the recent events that inspired me to produce this episode. On August 3rd, 2019, a shooter in El Paso, Texas killed 20 people at a Walmart near the border with Mexico. 19 minutes before the first 911 call, a hate-filled anti-immigrant manifesto appeared online that was strangely called An Inconvenient Truth. In the document, the author makes his horrific case for ethnic cleansing as a solution to the climate crisis. I asked myself, could the shooter's deadly words and actions have been inspired by the rhetoric that has been spoken and tweeted by the 45th President of the United States who has verbally attacked communities of color on more than one occasion.
1: This time it's House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings. He wrote this, Cummings district is a disgusting, rat and rodent infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. No human being would want to live there. Infested. That's usually reserved for references to rodents and insects. But we've seen the president invoke infestation to criticize lawmakers before. You see a pattern here? Just two weeks ago, President Trump attacked four minority congresswomen. Why don't they go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Reminder, three of them were born here. All of them are American. Infested, he says. A week before his inauguration, January 2017, Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested. Donald Trump has tweeted more than 43,000 times. He's insulted thousands of people, many different types of people. But when he tweets about infestation, it's about black and brown people. September 2014, at the height of an urgent health emergency, Why are we sending thousands of ill-trained soldiers into uh, Ebola-infested areas of Africa? Bring the plague to the U.S.? Obama is so stupid. Infested, he says. There's a revolution going on in California. So many sanctuary areas want out of this ridiculous crime-infested and breeding concept. Infested, he says. The president says about Congressman Cummings' district, that no human would want to live there. You know who did, Mr. President? I did. From the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I left for college. And a lot of people I care about still do. There are challenges, no doubt. But people are proud of their community. I don't want to sound self-righteous, but people get up and go to work there. They care for their families there. They love their children who pledge allegiance to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. They are Americans too. We'll be right back.
0: After the El Paso tragedy, I started reading articles that referred to the term ecofascism. There seemed to be more than one example of racially motivated terrorist attacks in the news, from Christchurch, New Zealand, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Poway, California, but none so directly connected to the climate crisis as the El Paso shooting, which made me deeply concerned about the ways in which humans will react when the crisis worsens. Will it bring out the best in humanity or the worst? I began to think more deeply about the foundations of America. Correct me if I'm wrong, but post-colonial American history seems to be filled with examples of eco-fascist ideas and acts. Our very own Declaration of Independence refers to indigenous people of this continent as merciless Indian savages. And yet this is still a document that we celebrate every year with a national holiday. And the principles of manifest destiny and eminent domain made way for a government-led genocide. Children being separated from their parents, put in detention centers, and even killed by the American government. These practices are also not new. From the slave trade to Indian residential schools, American history has already set precedents. Every single day that we wake up, we are living out our lives on stolen land. This is our history. It's history that we shouldn't turn away from, no matter how hard it is to look at it. I know this is a dark subject, but it's an important one. If we don't look directly at our shadow selves, how will we ever heal? In a recent interview in The Guardian, activist writer Naomi Klein referred to this concept as climate barbarism. Because she connected the dots so well, I'm going to read her words here. She states, quote, White supremacy emerged not just because people felt like thinking of ideas that were going to get a lot of people killed but because it was useful to protect barbaric but highly profitable actions. The age of scientific racism begins alongside the transatlantic slave trade. It is a rationale for that brutality. If we are going to respond to climate change by fortressing our borders, then of course the theories that would justify that, that create these hierarchies of humanity, will come surging back. There have been signs of that for years. But it is getting harder to deny because you have killers who are screaming it from the rooftops, unquote. And then Naomi speaks of the environmental movement. Quote: When you have a movement that is overwhelmingly representative of the most privileged sector of society, then the approach is going to be much more fearful of change. Because people who have a lot to lose tend to be more fearful of change whereas people who have a lot to gain will tend to fight harder for it. I have had many conversations with environmentalists over the years where they seem to believe that by linking fighting climate change with fighting poverty or fighting racial justice, it's going to make the fight harder. We have to get out of this, quote, my crisis is bigger than your crisis. First, we save the planet, and then we fight poverty and racism and violence against women, unquote. That doesn't work. That alienates the people who would fight hardest for change, As a middle-class educated white woman who considers herself an environmentalist for social justice and an ally in the struggle for racial equality and racial equity, I felt compelled to bring the issues of eco-fascism and environmental racism to the Eyes on Conservation podcast. I hope this episode shines light on our shadow selves and offers inspiration on how to move forward. We'll start this episode with a Close the Camps protest I attended on August 31st, 2019 in downtown San Francisco. I'm on my way down to the Close the Camps protest in downtown San Francisco, right in front of the ICE building. This protest today is part of the month of momentum that has been a month long uh, series of events and protests and ways to get involved in the movement to close down the concentration camps that are at the border of the United States and Mexico. So, every day when I turn on the news and I hear more stories about the conditions, you know, of the camps and the fact that children are in cages, children are dying, people are dying in the camps. I I'm I'm basically as heartbroken and petrified as I am about the climate crisis. I see these, both the climate crisis and our humanitarian crisis that's happening at the border right now as one and the same. Basically the way that we're treating the world is the way that we treat ourselves and other people. And And so I needed to do something and so I decided to come down and spend my Saturday morning here at the Close the Camps protest down at ICE in San Francisco on August 31st,
2: 2019. You pull the babies from our arms. There's no end to who you'll harm. They'll
3: call you out
4: for shame. say we started as america but we started way before that all the way down to the tip of south america all the way up to alaska indigenous people have been here and they have been surviving and they are thriving and so it's time to stand with all of us as you guys all have been doing in such a loving and wonderful way and remember that it's not just people as this is, you know, clearly speaking to the choir. It's not just people coming from Mexico to America. Those and they are welcome. They are relatives. There is no border. The borders are false. There is no border in this land. Anyone, anyone who would focus on that, you know, you hear south of the border. Oh, down at the borderlands. Border, 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 border. Fuck the border. The border is not real. Right. We are all related, we are all related, and we all need to love one another as our relatives because
0: that's truly who we are. So I just stepped away from the protest to speak with Maria Ciamara Dorsi from Idle No More SF Bay and the Brazil Solidarity Networks. So I was really inspired by what you said because you were linking what's happening in the Amazon rainforest right now with the burning with what's happening with the crisis at the so-called
4: border? Um, To begin with, I think something that really slips by a lot of people's awareness is the fact that many of these people and many more people will be traveling north for water, for clean water. So like that bases all of us in one family we all need water to live right and so when we think about all up and down the Americas what's happening to clean water and particularly in the Amazon right now with the fires that are happening the the, the Amazon River Basin is enormous and contributes to so much of the fresh water for our planet and so much of the life for our planet and so when we talk about indigenous people all up and down the continent indigenous people are defending life and they're defending the sacredness of clean water clean land clean air and we have to keep that in mind when we you know sometimes it's easy to get lost in like the horror of what's happening at these camps and to remember what caused all of that what caused all of these horrors is like uninhabitable homeland and due to you know whether it's violence whether it's war whether it's lack of uh, water or anything to sustain the crops that you need to grow for your family. And that all brings it back to environmental justice. We need to be looking at everyone and saying, we're all being impacted by what's happening on our planet. And this, these people who are our relatives that are coming here are the first ones to say, we have to leave our homes now because we can't live here. And we here in, in the North, we, we haven't quite understood yet. I shouldn't say all of us because many of us do know what it means to not have clean water here in North America, but a lot of the the privileged people who live here do not understand what it means to not have access to clean water. I can only imagine what it would be that would make me take my family and move because I could no longer support them, that I could no longer create a home for them, that I would be like I need to go elsewhere to this other place that is so dangerous and offers so many threats because here is obviously literally not an option. And I think when you talk about the California droughts, I think about, you know, the people who even when we were in like, you know, water shortage and, you know, shorten your showers and don't leave the water running and all of these things that we should be regularly doing, even then people weren't doing it. There is no, there's like this cognitive dissonance. Because we don't understand that water is not forever. I mean, she is she is forever in a energetic and spiritual way, but she will not last forever. She can only take so much, and we have to remember that when we think about what is it that's brought our relatives here. They have that water is gone. It's gone. She has given up and she's gone. And so um, I like how
0: you use the word relatives because you know, the, the migrants, the people who are coming to, you know, here, our land, um, they are, we're all part of the same family, it's true. And yet there is, um, there remains a cognitive dissonance and there remains a certain level of inaction that when we see the news and we see families being separated and children in cages, and yet there's not a sense of outrage you know happening in the American cultural mindset um, and even today I, you know I, I would hope that this protest could have been even bigger you know it's good that there's so many people here but where's the outrage do you know yeah.
4: um, I would say for many people it's race it's racism Um, because if these were white children, this would be a completely different situation. It would be completely different. And And that racism is spanning not just from, like, white people, but there are also people who are people of color who, whether they have come here and they've gone through a different channel to become citizens, they have, you know, their feelings about it. It's like this disconnect from the humanity of who all of these people are you know you want to umbrella people into oh illegal immigrants and forget that they're legal human beings they're human beings and it doesn't matter what color you are and it's heartbreaking because we're seeing before our very eyes that you know we we as indigenous and black and people of color we know that racism is alive and well, and like this just brings it so close to the surface that it's hard for many of us to even engage with the people that we love who who believe that this is the this is okay that there is nothing wrong with this because oh they're not here legally and even me I have white relatives who believe that it's okay and yet they want to go in to talk about being pro life and it's this this disconnect like if you're pro life how can you look at the news talking about these babies unable to touch one another, unable to hug. Anyone who goes in there is unable to hug them. And I talk about the trauma that will last with them when they're separated from their family. That's not just something you get over. That trauma will last them the rest of their lives. No matter what happens to them, they will have that trauma that they carry forever. And it is at the hands of racism.
0: So how do we we move
4: forward? What do we do? The best thing we can do is rise up. There's nothing more powerful than us rising up. However, it needs to be all of us rising up until everyone realizes, or they say like for environmental justice, 3.5% of humanity needs to rise up together. And that's what it's gonna take to overthrow governments and to make them change the laws. But it's gonna take all of us together. It's not just, we can't just be having a protest here and there. It needs to be everyone all together saying, The president, what the president is doing is wrong. All these laws that he's breaking are wrong. We can't just keep letting it slide. That's what keeps happening. He just keeps getting all these passes and articles are written and people are outraged, but nothing happens. We need to hold him accountable and he needs to go is what needs to happen. But until he's held accountable, truly nothing will change. And it's going to take all of us being fierce and being fearless and being ready to sacrifice things. Because if we're afraid to sacrifice, then what are we doing?
0: So, how can listeners who've just been inspired by your words find out more about the organizations that you're part of and that you're working to make these changes happen with?
4: Well, if you are on Facebook, you can follow us at no more, Idle No More, I D L E, No More, S F and the Brazil with an S Solidarity Network.
0: standing here with this uh, woman at the protest who has this beautiful sign with a butterfly on it. And I wanted to ask her what this means to her. So um, could you tell me uh, who uh, you are?
3: My name is Nora Alcala and I'm from Del Rio, Texas. It's a small border town along um, Ciudad Acuna. So this is very uh, you know, dear to me and dear to my heart and, and it makes me very angry what's going on considering that I am from the border and now these border towns are becoming concentration camps for children, for people. Um, it's, it's just very, very um, troubling for me. And these signs um, I made, they're um, artists that, that made these images. And I just printed them out from the internet. And because I feel they're reflective of what is going on. Um, and I think it's important for me to create awareness about this. Can you describe what's on your sign? Well, to me, this is this is a butterfly, um, and it says uh, all humans have a right to migrate, um, and it's uh, because butterflies um, migrate, and, you know, just like animals do, but at this point in time, humans cannot. Humans that are... You know, just fleeing for water and just for life, just as animals do. I mean, our animals are suffering now, um, you know, in uh, polar bears, you know, uh, with the global warming. So, I mean, I feel it all comes full circle.
0: So one of the the things that I've noticed, too, is that there's been a lot of, you know, massive awareness and... um, demonstrations and marches, you know, to save the climate. But then when it comes to, you know, the crisis at the border, the so-called border, um, I'm not seeing as much, as many people, as many Americans rising up in the same numbers.
3: Do you, do you have anything that you want to say about that? I think um, it's reflective of, uh, you know, what's going on and with our president. Um, and, um, you know, we've always been seeing Latinos as second-class citizens. Um, it's even gotten worse. And even now, um, you know, we are the backbone. We're the backbone of San Francisco. All these expensive restaurants, all these big buildings in the financial district, who cleans them? Who serves your food in these fancy restaurants? It's And it's not even Mexicans. It's people from Guatemala, from El Salvador. Um, so, I mean, that's that's how I feel about it. And, you know, what's going on? Um, I think, you know, there's being more awareness created, being, being created with events such as this and this whole month of protesting. So I think we need to continue it.
0: So, I ran into one of my favorite activism friends in San Francisco, Magic Altman, and um, I figured she would have something to say about the subject of, you know, the crisis at the border and the, also the environmental crisis that we're currently experiencing and the disconnects and the connections between the two movement. Magic.
2: Hi, thank you for doing this. So I've been an actress my whole life, and what I have learned and evolved through is that only when we connect to the earth as the laws of her laws and abide by them. She doesn't need any cops or borders to enforce her laws. They just happen to us. So if we can reroute ourselves and get over fear and love her systems and trust her resiliency and become a part of her again. Then we can get rid of the nation states which are really just remnants of colonialism, get rid of borders, there are no illegal people. We need to stop calling ourselves Americans or French or Mexican. We need to say we are Earth people, we are one people and that we can no longer be allowed to be divided by our fear to hate others. So it's an evolutionary leap of consciousness that we have to have where it's both and. I can find a way to connect with anyone. There's always common ground. So the guy in the White House is just the shadow symptom. If anybody studied their own shadow psychologically, he is the shadow. He's no longer packaged to look good and be sold to us through corporate capitalism. He is now blatantly the shadow in its own. Ugly form when white men grow up unloved and have to be this so we don't have to hate him But we must connect to the earth and trust the scientists say 11 years and I trust science to a degree But I trust her to a greater degree and if we would actually get out of the way when we're messing up and and uh, Create biomimicry and permaculture to connect and excel her systems Then we have no idea what she could do we could be with her, and she can change this whole thing. Only she, she can. Only the resiliency of life and love of the earth can do this. And I vow to dance on the corpse of patriarchy. I'm going to do the apocalypso so in my lifetime. No hatred toward any individual. Just, we must do this. So, um,
0: yeah. Yes, I'll be dancing with you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but what about... Um, What about the protests that we're at today? So this is a a close the camps protest. So what about the protests today and um, just the awareness, you know, that um, that we're or the lack of awareness, you know, that we're having here in America, in North America, about the migration that's happening um, and the this so-called status of the people and the families that are being subjected to the atrocities?
2: Well, the American government has gone rogue. Actually, most people know that ICE didn't even start till 2003, and it was actually created to stop terrorists. And what they're doing now is even illegal according to their own laws. So we need to recognize that this government is failed. It's a failed state. And we need to know and appeal to all people in the world. Nobody comes here because they want to leave their homes, their families, their work. No one works harder in America than the immigrants that have been coming from Latin America, nobody. And everyone, it's time to wake up. And by the way, they say we only need 3.5% of the people. They've studied revolutions to get this job done. So we can do this. And also, by the way, ab32 in the state assembly is to end detentions and private prisons it got through the committee without amendments it's going to go on the senate floor new york state already did it so this is a great step what we need to do with that government is damage control so they don't do anything more terrible while we create a true horizontal democracy in which all voices are heard respected and we find common ground and we can collect and organize in watersheds, her natural way to organize us. So, may it be so. May it
0: be so. Magic, thank you so much for talking to us today.
5: Thank you.
0: I just ran into a woman who's wearing a red Extinction Rebellion shirt. Her name is Remus Anini, And I'd like to talk to you about um, what brought you out here today to the Close the Camps protest.
6: I've come to um, five or six of these Close the Camps protests um, really to feel in solidarity um, with this tragedy and to be with like-minded people that want to make a change, that want to abolish ICE, that want to see a world with no borders, um, and that want to acknowledge that this this affects all of us. Um, When we mistreat families and their children and call people aliens and deny them their basic rights, um, it's a poison that seeps deep into our country, and it's the same poison that is affecting the climate and the body of the earth itself. Uh, We need to respect all life, and in particular we need to respect the life that's just trying to save themselves from the cruel atrocities that I see as being the result of American imperialism. Um, It feels amazing to be here, I've heard so many different voices, I've sung amazing songs, and I've also gotten the chance to really confront the depth of the grief and the suffering Um, in a way that would be very hard for me to do on my own. Um, It's one thing to listen to the news. It's another thing to really hear about this suffering in a space where you're with community and you're with others and you know that you want to make a change and you know that you're not going to ignore it.
0: So there's a a lot happening with climate activism and extinction. Rebellion as a part of this, you know, globally. Um, And then... You know, we're also having this crisis at the border, you know, or the so-called border um, here in America. And and to me, as an environmentalist and an environmental storyteller, you know, sometimes I notice that, that there's more enthusiasm about saving nature and wildlife than there is about saving and helping, you know, our brothers and sisters in the human race. Um, so that's why I wanted to talk to you, because I saw that you had an Extinction Rebellion shirt on. And I and I just was wondering if you have any insight into this disconnect, you know, that sometimes happens.
6: I hear you. Um, I think it's really challenging to know what's what's going to affect people, what's going to get them off their couch. Um, and there are so many different issues um, for me. I do see it as being all connected um, and I also really want these movements to be grounded in a sense of empathy, in a sense of helping your neighbor, in a sense of going outside of what you know and what's comfortable to you and recognizing that it is you know, the, the security and the comfort and the privilege is what got us into this mess. Um, so I am trying to challenge myself to... Um, learn from different communities, and one of the things that I particularly enjoy about Extinction Rebellion as a very young organization, which is less than two years old, which only arrived in the U.S. I don't know, 18 months ago or something like that, is that I've seen at least in our Bay Area chapter a real deference to the longer standing existing organizations. We work very closely with I Don't Know More and 10,000 Grandmothers and take a lot of um, guidance from indigenous groups um, as well as uh, Diablo Rising. And we spend a lot of time in solidarity to ask um, these much longer established. Uh, people who have been doing climate justice for a long time. You know, what do they need? Where can we do the most effect to show up? I'm somebody who's really still learning. Um, and I guess that the more that I have these conversations, the less that I feel like people are motivated by a single issue. Um, but I do think that that's where people start. And my hope with Extinction Rebellion is that it can kind of be a door for people to walk through and understand the scope of these issues because I do think it has a lot of name recognition right now. I think with everything that happened in the UK, um, it has more like household recognition than some of the other groups, which is a shame. But if it's a way for people to start and then go farther and deeper, then I think that's a huge success. And yeah, I mean, I do, I, I think one of the things that's true about climate change is that the scale of this problem is going to end up affecting millions and millions of lives. We're seeing already hundreds of thousands of migrant caravans that are about environmental displacement. Maria this morning talked about the lack of resource to clean water as being a motivation to leave your home, to travel 3,000 miles, to enter into a hostile country. And so it is deeply connected in terms of why people move. Um, and I think one of the challenges with the environmental movement is is to show that the scale of this devastation is going to touch an unprecedented amount of lives. It already is, but it's not. It is going to be like the largest um, atrocity that we've seen, <laughs> and it seems there's you know a lot of that a lot of that damage is going to be unavoidable. So we have to figure out a way to make community cre- to create the space where we can open, welcome these travelers with open arms and give them a place to rest their feet as opposed to giving them more hurdles to go through and, and more obstacles. We need to create those communities so that when the sea t- the sea rises and the forest fires are burning and we've toxified all of our soil, we can actually come together and really take care of each other. Um, this movement happens on every single level it happens on being a good neighbor and it happens on massive policy change every single person can do something to make a difference
0: thank you so much how does somebody find out more about extinction rebellion
6: extinction rebellion in the bay area has a website it's extinctionrebellionsfbay.org xr has a united states page. it also has a uk website so you google it there's lots of information Um, we're very happy to have new members we have at least one general meeting each month we try and alternate between the east bay and san francisco um, but there's lots of ways to plug in and most importantly to come out on september 20th for the global climate strike Um, it's going to be the first of many massive strikes and this type of protest is what gets the attention to really catalyze massive change on a massive scale so Please um encourage everyone that you know to stop what they're doing September 20th, get out in the streets, learn as much as they can, and recognize that it's gonna be the first of many um, where we really are in the process of changing opinion, changing lifestyles and making a better world
0: so once once again I am totally inspired and everyone that came to this protest was very inspired by the songs and the words of Diana Gameros um, so I'm I have the privilege to speak with her right now as well so Diana thank you so much for coming out here today and sharing your songs with us and um, I know that, you know, I know your story, um, but some of the listeners of Eyes on Conservation may not know your story. Um, Could you tell me, like, just a little bit about um, why the Close the Camps movement and Abolish Ice movement is so important to you as an artist, as a woman, as a person on planet
7: Earth? Well, I'm originally from Mexico, and I immigrated to this country when I was a young girl, but my immigration story is very different from the stories that we hear from people that are coming from Central America who have really struggled and who have really suffered in their countries of origin, therefore they have to leave and search for a better place. That was not my story. However, I did, you know, I, I wasn't documented for a while. And so I feel like I grew up, I, I also grew up with a lot of privilege, even within my own struggle of coming to a new land and being undocumented and... Um, So in a way, it's like I had enough struggle for me to feel that that I had a duty um, to serve and also enough privilege uh, to use it. And especially as a musician, as an artist, as somebody who has a microphone in front of me, a stage, a big audience, um, I see it as a responsibility to, to use that platform to amplify the message of justice and of love and of work and of and of solidarity and of celebration that we have to have towards our brothers and sisters who are immigrating here in different conditions and and, and not different conditions but who are immigrating here um, as a right that they have as human beings to migrate and to look for a for for a better place for a safer place for them and their children and so the story yeah I mean it's close to my heart because of that and also because in you know in my life and in throughout my journey I met a lot of people whose stories were just so heartbreaking to me and I and, and I became friends with people who had struggles that were much greater than than my struggles and so I for me yeah it's a it's a beautiful or it's a way to somehow tell them I'm with you I love you and I'm gonna and I'm going to fight for you in the way that I can.
0: Yeah. So we, we're we here at this protest in front of ICE, basically, and um, in here in San Francisco on Sansom Street. And this is part of a month-long protest. Uh, is that correct? And can you tell me a little bit more about the month-long of activities that have been going on?
7: Yeah, well, I don't... I This is the the first one that I attended. I have been attending a lot of other rallies and vigils i mean this was a hard month i think for the whole nation and i want to say for the whole continent um and you know along with like with the mass shootings like i I, some of these shootings also affected me directly so i was um taking part in other activities i didn't have opportunity to come here and in the month-long Activities that they were organizing here, but and I think that's probably why it was even more important to me to at least come to this one and 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 show my show my support. I think there's been all kinds of rallies and protests, kind of all over the town, with different groups, which um, which makes me feel really happy and hopeful. You know that that people are coming out finally and knowing, realizing that this is a this is a problem of our. You know that it's, it's our humanity. It's like people are seeing that this is not just something that happens to somebody else. It's 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 a decline in our in our um, in our moral. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just want to say that I'm I'm just happy that people are coming out finally and and supporting. And it feels it feels personally. Um, special to me that people are, are showing their support.
0: Yeah. So you brought up the mass shootings and this is one of the, one of the reasons why I'm here too is, you know, I, I think there is something that's breaking down in our morality and our culture. And, you know, right now, and, um, a lot of it is coming from the top. And, you know, it's like when, when I hear on the news that there was a mass shooting that was, was basically inspired by some of this hate, hateful language, um, and like fascist ideas. You know, I mean, t- I don't, I don't even want to like say them out loud. Some of the things that have been said, but they, they have been said and they're starting to infiltrate, um, and they're starting to in- inspire violence and hatred, um, so it so basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is 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 how the, how how do we as artists and as people, you know, sh- make that shift happen to get back to a place of love and acceptance, you know, of all humanity.
7: Yeah, well, I think what you what you say it's really it's really true. You know, we we people are looking up to somebody when they're doing. When they're committing those atrocious are, uh, acts, I think, you know, where we know where that message is coming from. But even before this precedent, um, yes, there is a lot of hate, and people who hate hate with conviction, and I think that's why I keep attending events like this. You know, even if. Some people say, "Well, it's just a protest. We're not going to change the world." No, you're not going to change the world, but you're going to uplift your soul. I I know that my soul gets uplifted, and if it does that, uh, it's going to keep giving me the resilience and the endurance to keep to keep to keep fighting for love. Because I know that the only way that we can come to our hate is through love. You know, it's like you you we have to bring the light to the darkness, and so. Um, it's in moments like this, and you can see it in the people. I mean, this—it's it's like a—it's we're recharging our batteries, you know. If anything, uh, yeah, we may not change the world, but we are also, you know, but we are spreading a message. And if, even if we can touch one person, if if one person can be open to this new idea of love and of and of solidarity, and also not just that, but also you know, getting educated and really knowing the roots. Why are people coming here? Like the real history. You know, it's not all about like oh yeah love and light yes and action you know and opening up um, those alternative history books and really knowing the causes uh, what drives migration do you know there's I feel like there's so much to learn when we're in this movement and but it can be done you know and a lot of the times it's super easy to get overwhelmed especially with the news and I think one way to overcome that is by showing up in events like this, you know, and as I said in the in the protests, uh, making the revolution beautiful so that people can come out and keep supporting and keep enriching themselves so that they have the strength to keep going uh, because these people need us. You know, I mean, to me, it's just amazing to see how I was able to be at the Tornillo uh, Detention Center in Texas. And, and they closed that camp, you know, they shut it down because people were showing up every day. So it does, it does matter, you know, showing up does does serve a beautiful purpose. And so let's keep doing it. Adios!
0: <laughs> so on that, uh, um, it's true, like you said, they need us, but we also need them, you know. And the song that you were singing today, um, Dos Pasos, um uh, you were talking about basically inviting them when they arrive with flowers, right? So it's like we need to recognize that we need to be good hosts, you know, for people who have journeyed this far and who are contributing in so many ways.
7: Yeah, and and I do want to add or, like, rectify, uh, when I say they need us, you know, it, it doesn't come from, like, a savior syndrome sort of they need us, but in a way that, like, do um, you know... I guess in a way we we need to show up for them you know it's not that they need us if anything we need that you we need them to show us about courage what being brave means i mean i get goosebumps just to think i would not seriously if you give me a million dollars to cross the desert and the border and get on that train that some of these people board on to come here and to risk their lives and to for women to risk you know being raped I don't know that I would do it, even if you pay me. And yet these people are doing it. And so to me, it's uh, yeah, we have a lot to learn from them. And if anything, they are giving us that lesson and they are giving us that, um, you know, the example of what being a super human is like. And so um, yeah, I only meant they need us in the way that like we need to show up for them. You know, we need to get them out of those concentration camps. We need to go to L.A. and or to Sacramento and uh, and make sure that these propositions get passed. You know, AB 32, um, the TPS, protecting all of our immigrant community and not just the immigrant community. But, you know, we could go forward to or uh, even beyond to um, seeing why, you know, people are behind the behind the. Um, detrás de las barras in in jails like this is more than just uh an issue of immigration you know what,
0: what i would love to do is just give people um some information about how they can find out more about your music
7: yeah sure uh you can go to my website uh, dot com. that's d-i-a-n-a-g-a-m-e-r-o-s dot com um yeah, I do have other events that I'm supporting, like Barbecue a, uh, Without Borders and well, Our Children, are sacred program at the Yerba Gardens Festival. So it's all on my website and I would be thrilled if you can join us and 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 get uplifted. And uh, yeah, and just be sorry. in love with us. <laughs> As in like with us, you know, together in love.
0: Hmm. I totally feel you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Diana. I'm always inspired by your music.
7: Thank you so much.
0: Right now, I'm here with two of the uh, five organizers of today's Close the Camps protest, and I'd like them to just introduce themselves and tell me about the month of action that's been happening. So uh, who wants to start? Uh, Hi, I'm Penny Rosenwasser, and I'm one of the five of us.
8: I'm Judy Grayboys.
0: Okay, and can you uh, tell me about the month of uh, protests that have been happening about closing the camps and abolishing ICE? Sure. Um, On July 12th, there were
8: over 600 actions all over the country called Lights for Liberty. And Kate and I saw each other, and um, in fact, the woman who organized that was here as well today. And I said, Kate, we have to do something. Maybe we should go do CD at the camps. And Kate said, well, I've been thinking about an idea. What if we, using the model of when we were, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, there were protests every day for a year in front of the South African embassy, and people were arrested. What if we did actions every day for the month of August in front of ICE? This is August 31st. There have been actions almost every single day in August by all these different groups. We love to say this part. Lawyers and librarians, witches, poets, queers, public health workers, synagogues. What uh, else? The fat and disability community. Uh, many different many different kinds of groups. Um, some like Jewish Voice for Peace are showing up for racial justice groups that have been already organized or groups that never were organized as constituents. Adoptees just did something. So the idea was to really have this consistent protest every single day from noon to one, and then also to bring in people that maybe hadn't done something before, because they thought, oh, who are the people that do that? But they could go, oh, well, I know these people, I'll come. And, and it really, it happened, it took off. So I think this was the biggest one today, probably about. Yeah, today was the biggest. But as the month went on, the, the, the actions got
9: bigger and bigger and bigger as the media we got more coverage. And our, we have a Facebook page, Month of Momentum.
0: and. It definitely built over the month. Yeah,
8: probably about 500 people today, we
0: were estimating. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, one of the things that I've been talking to some other of the people who showed up to your protest about is that, you know, there well, there's a lot at stake right now in the world, you know, and, the, and there's this rise of, you know, there's this rise of global populism and fascism, you know, and also there's a climate crisis happening and... There has been a lot of activism and protests and demonstrations around, you know, the environmental movement. But then I feel like, sometimes I feel like the reaction to the crisis that's, ha- that's happening at our so-called border, there's there's a little bit of acquiescence, you know, and people feel like, what can I do about that, you know? Um, so, like, I feel, I feel like this protest could could have been and should have been bigger, you know, Um, and this is and I'm going to stop talking now and let you take the mic. But this is a this is a criticism of the environmental movement in general, that, like, there's a disconnect and stuff that happens when people think about saving the
5: planet. But then what about saving ourselves? You know, I'm Kate Raphael. I needed to be part of this movement and I wanted to see this movement growing and I wanted to see us. I mean, it's interesting what you just said, that this demonstration could have been bigger. And of course it could have and should have. But I mean, actually, this whole month of actions came out of a demonstration that I went to here in mid-July. And like sort of when some of the first stories about the horrible conditions in the camps came out and there was all this uproar about, was it okay to call them concentration camps? And it seemed to me like, you know, as somebody who definitely grew up knowing people who were in the camps, it was absolutely appropriate to use that language. And not only that, but I mean, exactly what I saw happening where people wanted to say, no, it's not that bad. And, oh, you're overreacting. I mean, that's exactly what happened in Europe in the 30s when things could have been stopped was that people said oh it's not that bad and he's not that serious and he'll change and you know they don't really mean it sure they're using the jews as scapegoats but we're fine we're assimilated we're here we're not going anywhere and you know so i just felt like how could we up the ante and i mean there are moments when you can get tens of thousands of people out in the street to do really militant actions like we did when the Iraq war started in 2003, you know, and we had like 20,000 people out here disrupting business as usual. But I didn't feel that this moment was, we weren't going to be able to do that because <laughs> things have been normalized. I mean, this didn't, isn't something that just happened. I mean, first of all, Those actions in 03 people imagine were spontaneous and certainly a lot of people came out spontaneously, but we'd been working on them for six months. So the idea of, well, what could we do quickly that might lead to bigger things? And the idea behind this month of actions was if everybody does something, because what I know about demonstrations is the main reason that people come out to things is because their friends are doing it or because people that they really know and trust are doing it. And so it was about how to build capacity and build movement. Like you build a movement brick by brick. You don't start by building a house unless, you know, by just like let's throw up a house unless you already have a foundation. That's very strong. And we didn't have that. And so, you know, what we saw was that many communities organized and for sure the ones that had already been doing this work for a long time turned out the biggest crowds. But I mean, when I saw a group of adoptees who had never organized anything together in public like this, pull out 40 people Mm -hmm. with amazing stories to tell. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that in some ways it's stronger because they're finding their voice as opposed to just bringing out all the people who are already outraged and already used to coming to protests. I mean, the young woman who organized the journalist action yesterday said she had never organized a protest before and she had an amazing protest and now she knows she can do it. And so, you know, we didn't just, it can't just be about numbers and how many people are out here. It's gotta be about what are we building?
9: You know all the comparisons with nazi germany i just want to read really quick a couple and frank quotes It's what we were talking about how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world and it's really a wonder that i haven't dropped all my ideals because they seem so absurd and impossible to carry out i mean and there was another really famous one about you know children are coming home and their parents aren't there and families are being separated It's it really is now, never again is now. And we do, as Kate said, it's brick by brick by brick. Yeah, I,
8: have- yeah, I just think it's, we. Um, it just happens that mm-hmm. of the five of us organizing this, four of us happen to be Jews. <laughs> and, But I could say it just happened to be, but I think it's also because, not wanting to speak for any of the others, but that because of what's happened to our people, we understand genocide, we understand oppression. Um, we understand how the conditions that make that happen. I mean, I lost distant family members in Auschwitz. The detention camps are not death camps, but this is how it starts. Just like, just like Kate and Judy were saying, we get that. We got that immediately. Um, and I think it's not a it's not a surprise that there are a lot of Jewish groups, both formally and as individuals, responding to this issue. Because, and and of course, many other groups, but. I think any groups that understand oppression and have had that happen to their people or their ancestors, it's like, oh, my God, we see this happening. No, it's not going to stop. We're not, we're not going to let it happen. And the only way we know how to stop it is by doing everything we can, uh, trying to get different kinds of people involved, changing policies, collecting money. You know, today we collected, we're going to count it, but it looks like a lot of money for the Freedom for Immigrants bail fund so that people who are in detention can at least get bail and can get out and be with their families while they're waiting, you know. So, um, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I just want to say,
9: uh, even though they're not, quote, death camps, people are dying, and the trauma, the trauma of young children being separated from families is lifelong, lifelong damaging trauma that gets passed on. The trauma of slavery is still being passed down in the DNA of people you know, generations later, and this trauma is
0: going to get passed down through the generations as well. So one of the things that I spoke with Diana Gameros about was, you know, that she she's also responding to the massive killings, like in El Paso, that were targeted at brown immigrants, you know, who live, you know, and not immigrants, but Americans, you know, that live there. And there's a language that's being used you know, to describe people, you know, Americans. (laughs) And it's from the top down, you know, it's, there's words and vocabulary that's being used to desensitize Americans. And sometimes I don't even want to like repeat the words because I don't want to give that person a microphone. But what can be done about shifting the mentality, you know, of Americans and the world, you know, to be able to kind of go towards this vision of acceptance, you know, and celebration like Deanna was singing about, you know, as opposed to where we're at right now.
8: Well, I think we can each speak to that, but it's, it's act- taking action, doing whatever you can think of to do. I mean, just like we were saying, these kinds of events today, people who might not have gone before but might be an adoptee or an a librarian or a queer or a witch and go, okay, there's other people going, I care about this, I want to do something. You can do stuff online, you can send money. Um, trying to get people to listen to Democracy Now! or progressive media, where you hear the stories. And that often, I think, is what catalyzes people. Um, some, you know, going to different kinds of media or films or, or books or something like that. So there's a lot of different kinds of things that you can do. But I think we just have to keep, keep at it. You know, it's like every single day, do whatever we can and believe that we can change it. I always think of Howard Zinn and June Jordan who were both fiery activists who believed in the power of the people to create change, even when apartheid was happening. You know, it took 30 years to end that. When the Berlin Wall came down, I mean, people thought, oh, this is never going to change. Slavery. They thought, how is it ever going to end? And through a lot of organizing and courage and different kinds of actions, finally ended. So I think you have to believe it.
9: Yeah, the Women's March was one woman posting on Facebook, hey, why don't we all go to D.C. and protest Trump? I mean, you have to, everybody just pick one thing. I know it's overwhelming. There's so many issues. Everybody just pick one thing. You can just
0: focus on one thing. You can't do everything, but everybody can do one thing. And what is the one place that people can go to to find out more about your organization? Well, we have a Facebook page,
8: Month of Momentum, 30 Days of Actions to End the Camps, We'd also be glad to send people to the Freedom for Immigrants website, freedomforimmigrants.org, are two really good places to check out.
9: RAICES is one of the organizations that works with immigrants. There's a lot of immigrants' rights organizations that you know, are active and doing really good work.
0: Thank you so much for bringing our community together today. Thanks for talking to us. Okay, bye-bye. On November 16th, 2019, I caught up with Refuse Fascism at an anti-Trump-Pence march in San Francisco's Mission District. Trump and Pence! The system
1: is outrageous! It puts our kids in cages! Trump and Pence! Trump and Pence! The system is outrageous! It puts our kids in cages! Trump and
0: Pence! I just finished marching with Refuse Fascism from... Market and Castro all the way down to 24th and Mission. It was a anti-Trump and Pence rally, out now was the theme. And I'm standing with Barry, who's the organizer. And so Barry, would you be able to tell me a little bit about who you are and explain what Refuse Fascism is all about?
10: Refuse Fascism is a broad-based organization that draws in everybody who sees two key points. This is fascism and we've got to be in the streets. It's not a normal situation. And we launched the out now movement because we want to jumpstart in a certain sense, a mass movement which will grow and become millions. And we can, so we can do what the people of Puerto Rico did is a simple way of putting it. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we think is urgently needed. That if if we don't do this and this regime consolidates itself it'll be a disaster for humanity, for the planet. The, the consequences for the environment alone are just enormous.
0: There's a lot going on from, you know, the wall to putting children in cages to basically losing our public lands as well. And in addition, all of the rhetoric. I know that Refuse Fascism has been at a lot of the climate rallies and the youth climate strikes, etc. So w- when we talk about the environmental movement, you know, often, we're not talking about fascism right right and a lot of people don't understand a why we're not talking about fascism and b the connection between the two
10: a lot of the environmental movement doesn't talk about fascism and doesn't raise that and and how, and is dealing somewhat separately from all the social questions that are bound up with what's going on with the environment but i there's a couple really important things i think we have to say is one is that if you think we're going to get any real changes in the environment, as long as Donald Trump and this regime is in power, it's it's just ridiculous. They're, they're, they're assaulting on every front. They're ripping apart government agencies. They're tearing down climate change from government websites. You, you can go on and on. And they are not going to relent on this. I mean, it's an article of faith for them. And that's really what it is, that, oh, it's... It's a Chinese hoax, this global warming. I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous, but it's extremely dangerous.
1: And I want to be clear, this is not just a protest. This is a movement that everybody can step into and be a part of. Everybody, from, from our elders, who aren't going to have any future in this society because they don't give a shit about old people. From the young people who don't have a planet to live on, no air to breathe, no water to drink because they don't give a shit about the
3: youth and the planet.
1: To the people all over the world who are already starving, to the children in Gaza who are being bombed as we speak, we gotta step out into the streets and fight against this fascism.
10: It's also true that getting rid of Trump will not solve the environmental problems because they obviously go go way back long before and they're deeply rooted in capitalism, is my view we will not make any real progress as long as Trump of any kind will go backward as long as this regime is in power. And that is not, under- when I go out to that, to that movement and talk to people, a lot of people agree with that. A lot of people there have that understanding, but the movement isn't raising it. So that, that's something you have to work on, I think, you know? But a lot of people know it's true. It's like, we're going to solve this with Trump in power? It's just not going to happen, so.
0: Many Americans think that fascism is something that couldn't even be possible in America and yet you kind of mentioned there has been a history of fascism like throughout American history there's there's something wrong with our system
10: I would I would say two things one is that this fascism that's emerged is deeply rooted in American history it's rooted in the genocide of the native peoples it's rooted in the slave trade and everything that went with that and the white supremacy that's been at the foundation of this country that's it draws on all that on the one and the other. And there's also been in the last decades the building up of a very specific American homegrown fascist movement that that has now taken the presidency, much of the Supreme Court, the Senate, two-thirds of the state legislatures. This is a very serious political threat. The Republican Party, it's, it's rooted in... Christian fundamentalist churches as well as a bunch of neo-Nazi groups. It didn't come from Putin. It came from, it's a homegrown American fascist movement that is a very dangerous thing right now. And and people don't see it for a lot of different reasons and people need to understand. this, this This is, it's not just Trump is a clown and an idiot, though in some ways he's of course clownish and stupid. Did he ever read a real book? You don't know. But He's actually got a political coherence that's extremely dangerous and is part of a movement that's extremely dangerous. So I hope that responded to what you're raising.
0: Yeah, and what comes to mind after this is, is we're in a climate crisis, right? And my interest in the rise of what is called ecofascism happened after the shooting in El Paso. We have this climate crisis, and then we also are having a rise and spread of fascism in
10: America. There's a trend that's emerged that tries to claim the mantle of being concerned about the environment while doing things, holding on to racism, blaming the immigrants. Oh, we have to get rid of people. It goes in some ways very directly to genocide. People are the problem. We've got to get rid of people. And and uh, so so this is this is a... a a very dangerous and and ugly trend that has emerged. And and, and they're not going to lead to any positive changes on the environment, I'm sorry. But what you see is the the way that the the fascists in power are poking into every area of public and political life at this point. So it's similar with these these, these eco-fascists, I think. That's like Jews for Hitler. But they exist. They have no real serious answer to anything but they're trying to import and put fascist politics with an environmental gloss basically so
0: why is it important to include intersectionalism and social justice in the environmental message
10: The, the question of how human beings relate to the environment is very deeply bound up with how human beings relate to each other. And in in particular, in in a country like the US, which, I mean, look, where did these clothes come from? From women in Bangladesh who were working for a dollar in an hour in some slave shop all of that has got to change, and if, if you're serious, you're, you're not going to solve the problem of the environment while those women are still making your clothes that way. I'm sorry, and I don't even want to have that solution if it was possible, but it's not even possible. You have to change a whole lot of things or you're not going to change anything for real. So that's, there's a deep linkage between environmental and social justice. It's not, it's not two separate things, and you can't really you can't really se- separate them. The treatment of the native peoples, it, it, all across the Americas, that they're they're assaulting the Amazon uh, rainforest. I'm sure right now. I mean, because the people stand in the way of capital going in and just ripping the place to shreds. And so you you can't you can't deal with these things as separate issues.
0: And my last question is: What are some of the ways that our listeners of this podcast can? step up and take action against fascism and also especially against eco-fascism?
10: Well, I mean, like I said before, I think if people in the environmental movement need to understand as long as Trump's in power, we're going to go backward on the environment and many other things. And and it's really important for there to be a common practice and joining together of, of issues. And that's and, and correct. And we need to build those linkages because things are tied together in the real world and I invite people in the environmental movement and everybody to become part of the out now movement and and it's easy to find us refusefascism.org is one website you can go to and find us and we're a national organization
0: I guess so. All right I want to thank you for your time and thanks for putting on this awesome protest today to raise awareness. Okay thank you. As I finished this interview, one of the other organizers from Refuse Fascism told me about a book called Divine Destruction, Dominion Theology and Environmental Policy, written by journalist Stephanie Hendricks, giving me an idea for a follow-up episode on this subject, because I feel there's a lot more that needs to be said. Thanks for listening. Producing this episode has helped me think differently about my own environmentalism. I hope you found it useful.
8: sultos pies llegaron ya ah,
9: ah, ah. Ah.